If you take your Bibles, please, turn them to the book of John in the 13th chapter, John chapter 13. And uh, I'll open us uh, again, I guess it's not opening, but I'll, I'll pray here again and ask God to give us attention to his word. Um, obviously, these are uh, unique days in the life of our church, um, times when um, we need truth to counsel us as much as we ever have, and we need the Spirit to come and direct our hearts and minds. So let's ask God to do this for us again. Lord, we come before your word humbled. We know that it is absolute uh, authority, and we're really thankful that you've given it to us. Um, Otherwise, we would be left to trusting in the arm of the flesh. We would trust in our own understanding and not lean on you not trust in you in all our ways and all our paths. So thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the incarnate word, your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that our hearts and minds would be turned toward him, that your spirit would come and help us during this time. We know that it's your desire that we see Jesus and that that is why you've given us the spirit. So spirit work in our midst this morning as well. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. If we were to go into the streets of our town and take a poll and ask people, what, what are the distinctive marks of a Christian? What does a Christian look like? We'd probably get a lot of different answers to that question. Um, I thought I lived in a, in a uniquely Christian store, sort of town before we moved out here. Um, Greenville, South Carolina is often considered the buckle on the Bible belt, and moving here uh, to Kingsburg has made me realize that there's a West Coast version of that kind of Christianized sort of community, Christianized sort of town. And we live in a place where there are many who name the name of Christ and know him as Savior. And if we were to begin asking them, what are some of the distinctive marks, there's no question we'd get people who would have answers, and they'd have ideas as to what a Christian looks like, what makes a Christian, and even what is the one defining character trait of a Christian. If we were to go to the average local church in our town and ask the same question, we'd probably end up with the same wide range of answers to that question. And, and if I did it this morning, if I had each of you write down on a piece of paper what you would define or what you would describe as the chief character trait, the defining mark of a Christian, probably fairly quickly you'd all come up with something, but we'd probably still have a range of different answers to that question here this morning. Uh, But the Bible does give us one distinctive mark of a Christian, a true follower of Christ. And we'll see that here in John chapter 13, and we'll start reading in verse 31. Many of your Bibles have a heading over this that says, a new commandment. Verse 31, when he had gone out, referring back to Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And verses 34 and 35 is where we'll look this morning, where we'll give our attention. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I 
have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by, by this kind of love one for another, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So here, in these two verses, Jesus himself, talking to his disciples, says, here's the distinctive mark of a Christian. Here is what I'm giving the world the right to judge you by, the love that you have for one another. The Bible says that the distinctive mark of a Christian is Christ-like love toward all other believers. This morning, my sermon's title is entitled, The Mark of a Christian, and I, I did shoplift that title from a short little essay written by Francis Schaeffer that I highly recommend to you. Here's a little bit of the context in this chapter and from this passage. Christ is gathered with his 11 disciples because Judas has already left to go do his work of betrayal. He's just washed their feet, something that for many of the disciples, they, they recoiled at. They realized, Jesus, our master, isn't the one to be washing our feet. This is for the lowliest of servants. And yet Jesus is here washing their feet. And then he begins speaking about his betrayer, one who would betray him. And Judas has now left to go do that work of betrayal. And now he's talking about going somewhere that they couldn't follow. And all of this is it's hard to understand language for the disciples. A betrayer, you're going somewhere and we can't go there with you. This doesn't make sense. And then he gives them a command. A command. And what is this command? Well, we see in verse 34, the command that you love one another. When we think about, when we, we know the full story, we know that Jesus is prepping to go to the cross. He's on his way there. He has set his face toward Jerusalem. He's he is readying himself and his followers to go and be crucified on the cross. And certainly he's thinking through, in what we would think of as human terms, as kind of his last words. What does he want to leave them with? What is he going to command them with? And here, of all the commands he possibly could have given, he tells them to love one another. Now, now if, if it were me, I, I don't know that that would have been the first thing I would have thought of. I would have said, now guys... Stay doctrinally sound, preach the word, read your Bible, stick together. And surely these are all truths that these men needed to adhere to and follow. But Jesus says to them, love one another. But when we understand Christ's teaching on love, we understand why this is the commandment he leaves his disciples with. A lot of times when we hear someone preaching on love, we think that they're, you know, they're kind of, Maybe they're a little soft on doctrine, you know, love, love for Christians, love for everybody. Is this, you know, is this guy solid? Is this guy real? He's probably squishy on doctrine, isn't he? No, Christ's teaching is clear. Let me run through some passages in the New Testament. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 1 John 4, 21, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. 1 Peter 1, 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Jesus' command 
for his disciples, those 11 men that were gathered in that room there, is that they love one another. Of course, he's referring in this moment specifically to the love that Christians are to have for one another. The title Christian, unfortunately, in our day and in our world has come to encompass almost anyone that isn't an atheist, right? I mean, uh, everyone is a Christian of sorts. This is not helpful for us as we think through what a true Christian is. So obviously we must determine doctrinal distinctives. When we talk with someone and they say, well, yes, of course I'm a Christian. There, there are other questions that we need to follow up with and ask as to their understanding of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone and trusting in him alone for salvation. But when we've determined that someone else is a true follower of Jesus Christ, they are one of God's own. They will be with us in heaven. We have to follow Christ's command here and figure out ways, even though often it's difficult for us to do so, ways to display love toward other Christians. We love them not because we share the same denominational distinctives or the same standards or the same church building. We love them because God has commanded us to. Remember, he said we are to love our enemies. How much more those that are in our spiritual family and that we will be with in heaven. So Christ is giving the command to love, but how are we to love? You know, if we get, if we get our, our definition of love from just the world at large or even, even worse from popular uh, maybe media, um, we get a pretty inaccurate understanding of what love is. If we just understood love through movies or television, we would hardly know what love means. Love is defined for us. Love is objective. Love is and can be substantiated. And while it can and and hopefully does include emotions and feelings, it can act independently of them. And as we already read this morning, let me remind us again of what love looks like. And as I read through a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 13 again, think through how many of these definitions are feeling-oriented and how many of them are action-oriented. John, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, <clears throat> verse 4. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envies not. Love doesn't build itself up. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek her own is not easily provoked, doesn't think evil, doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Here in this passage, it becomes pretty quickly clear that love isn't just warm fuzzies, butterflies in my tummy, love for somebody else. Love is actions. It's choosing, it's pushing down that which is sinful and selfish in me and choosing to love like Christ has loved. It plays itself out often in demonstrations like this, 1 John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I remember a friend of mine 
challenging me years ago with um, this truth that we are not to just love with our words, but we're to love with our actions. In fact, recently, a friend of mine said to me, Jeremy, you say love well. Sometimes you struggle to do love well. And he was right. I was rebuked and convicted by that. So do we just say that we love one another? Or do we love one another in our actions, in our conversation with each other? Is a... In, in describing the first century Christians to the Roman emperor Hadrian, Aristides said this, referring to the early Christians, they love one another. And then he goes on to describe, they never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who will hurt them. If they have something, they give it freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy, treating him as though he were a real brother. They consider themselves brothers and sisters through the Spirit of God. This kind of love is easy in theory while we're seated, seated in our comfortable seats here in the theater. But it's very different when it takes on faces and circumstances. Love is much more difficult to extend to someone who we consider to be less than worthy of love or someone who's just plain old hard for us to love, right? I mean, we all have people in our lives who, for whatever reason, are very difficult for us to love. So for most of the people for, for, for most of the people in this room, most of you find it very easy to love. But as soon as I say there are a few, probably for you, immediately there's like three or four people that come to mind. Okay? Now, don't take it personally, the rest of you in here, but someone's thinking of you, probably. Okay? And I, someone challenged me uh, with this a, a while back, and I, I never even thought of it before, but they said, you are someone's awkward person. And I never thought of myself that way. I thought, really? Could I really be someone's awkward person? And then I realized, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess it's possible. So if I'm your awkward person, just love me, okay? I, you don't need to come tell me you're my awkward person, and it's hard for me to love you, but I'll do it anyway, okay? This kind of love, though, it, it's helpful when we define it biblically, right? So I can't just, mu- it, let's say you're my awkward person. I can't just like muster up feelings like I'm just gonna feel loving toward you. But I can fulfill, by God's grace, this kind of love from 1 Corinthians 13, where, where I demonstrate the love of God to you and then trust, by God's grace, that feelings will follow. Now, this isn't the hard part. This isn't the confusing or difficult part of this passage. I mean, it's difficult for us to love the way Christ has loved, but that's not the hard part in this passage for me to understand. When I first began studying this passage, I came across a phrase in this passage that was hard for me to understand. Let's look again at verse 34. It's right there, that first phrase at the beginning of verse 34 that I didn't understand. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Because I thought, this, isn't, this is no new commandment. Uh, we have known that we're to love one another. Leviticus 19.18, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. John, 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So why is Jesus, why is Jesus here looking at his disciples and saying to them, a new commandment I give you, and then he's telling them something they already knew to do? Well, it took me a while to figure it out. But as I studied, I began to understand something. The newness of the command. And if you're taking notes, point number one is the command itself, to love one another. Point number two, 
the newness of the command. This word for new doesn't mean something that they've never heard before, but it means something that is fresh as opposed to that which is stale. So for instance, uh, let's say that you're, you've been um, browsing on the internet for a while and you come to, uh, you're at a website and you're, you're reading something and you go away for a few hours and you come back to the computer and, and it's, a, it's a website where there's, you know, they're regularly updating stuff and there's often a button that we will click to, to make sure that the newest and most pertinent information is right up there on the front of the screen, right? That's the refresh button, right? Most of you know what that is. The refresh button, it doesn't bring you to a new tele, a, a new internet site. It doesn't take you to a, a new place out on the web. It simply refreshes what was already there. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is, I'm giving you a, a new perspective, a new a freshness to this command, something about this command that you haven't seen before. It's a newness, as one commentary puts it, a newness of motive or a newness of scope. It's not so much, as Leon Morris says, it's not so much that the commandment has not been given before, is that it has a different quality about it, a quality of freshness that differentiates it from any other. And we're not even left to guess what that is. It says it right here in the passage. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and then the next phrase is the, is the freshness, it's the newness, it's the new understanding of the extent of love. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. See, brothers and sisters, this is where a proper understanding of the gospel is absolutely necessary for us to show appropriate and biblical love toward other people. Because if I'm left if I'm left with my own criteria for who I'll love and how I'll love them, I'll never love completely. But when I understand how Christ has loved me, now I can begin to understand how he's calling me to love others. This is the newness of the command. Yes, they knew that they were to love one another, but now they've got, they've got a living, breathing color illustration in front of them of what love looks like. These are men who've just had their feet washed by Jesus And he's telling them, just like I've loved you, now you're to love each other. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Okay. So how has he loved us? Right, just continuing in the verse. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved God, that, that's only appropriate, but here is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. How did he love us? And sent his son to be an offering, to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. The most famous Bible verse in the world, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, how did he love the world? We're not left to guess. He so loved the world, it wasn't just warm, fuzzy feelings that he had for this planet from heaven. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. So as we consider the newness of the command that Christ has given us, we have to realize that, that the newness, the freshness, the, the new perspective on love is that 
Now the disciples are called to love in a way that they've never seen demonstrated before. Here's a man before them who's willing to stoop and wash their feet. And here's a man that they're getting ready to, to watch go to the cross and die for them. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Brothers and sisters, is it possible that our love is nothing like that love that our Savior commands us to have? I think, I think a lot of times we just kind of, we're either, we either are a loving person or we aren't, right? We, just, we kind of think of it as, well, I'm shy, I'm, you know, I'm short, I'm bald, I'm, you know, I'm not loving, I am loving. You know, like it's just a, a character trait that we can, we're kind of born with or not. And your Christ is calling us to consider how he has loved and to now love others the way he has loved us. If he says, love others the way I loved you, and then he says, I loved you so much I died for you, then what does this say regarding our love for others? You see, this kind of love crosses petty differences, family disputes, different applications of standards, denominational lines even. Because we are in Christ and we understand Christ's love for us. You see, I'm, I'm willing to love others until it begins to hurt me. All right? Um, because often love is, is a kind of a mutually beneficial thing, right? But there are times when, when love means that I sacrifice for your benefit. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not always a two-way street. Again, consider our Lord's example. Christ, Christ comes. He is crucified. This is, this is not a two-way street of love. This is, this is the sovereign God of the universe initiating love for us. Again, one commentator says, they love because of what they are through Christ, not because of what the people they love are. So brothers and sisters, we're to love each other not because the other person is worthy in some special way of love. None of us are but we're to love because of who Christ is and because of now what we are through Christ. Jesus did not just love his neighbor as himself. Jesus loved his neighbor more than himself, and this is what he's calling us to. Do we really understand what it is to love our neighbor as ourselves? This does not come natural. This is not easy, and yet is what Christ has done for us. And this is where... Um, so often at this church, I know we are called back to consider the gospel. Think about what Christ has done through his perfectly lived life, his sacrificial death, and his bodily resurrection from the tomb. He has secured for us, he has, he has demonstrated for us how we're to, to love others, and now he's providing us the power to do so. Both the, he is our example, and he is our substitute, and he is our power to do so. So, first of all, we looked at the, the, the command to love. And secondly, we looked at the newness of the command. Number three, let's look at the result of the command. What's the result of the command? You see, there's a lot that's hanging on this mark. There's a lot that's hanging on this command. This command is not optional. There's a lot that's hanging on it. Again, in our passage, verse 34, uh, rather verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. 
these others, unbelievers, the watching world, they are given the right by God to judge whether we are a follower of Christ. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. As Francis Schaeffer in that little book that I mentioned to you earlier, he writes in his book, in the midst of the world, in the midst of our present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward all Christians. His next words, that's pretty frightening. Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love he shows toward all Christians. I remember the first time I read that phrase as I was studying through this passage, I didn't know what to do with it. I thought, wow, I think I stand condemned in that because there were Christians whom I stood against, who I didn't show love to because I disagreed with on certain points of Christian living, certain standards, certain denominational distinctives. Consider this, though, brothers and sisters. What else in the world would the world judge us by? They don't care about our doctrine. They don't know our doctrine. We might say, well, we don't like those Christians because they, and then you name some little point of, of disagreement because they such and such well the world doesn't know that and they don't about them and they don't know doctrine about you what they do know is how we are interacting with one another they don't care or know our doctrine they will judge our christianity by something observable observable and christ himself has said i'm giving them the right to judge based on your love for one another this is the mark of a christian the mark of a christian is our love toward one another, or as Schaefer would say, our observable acts of charity toward one another. We must be a peculiar people in the way God says to be. And like I talked with the teens about this morning in Sunday school, this doesn't mean we dress weird or, or you know, hide away in a monastery somewhere. That's not what it means to be peculiar. This is actually harder than dressing a certain way or hiding away in a monastery. Right, that, would, that would be relatively easy compared to what Christ has called us to, to love one another. And so like a sheriff wears a badge, right? If you watch any of the old, if you watch the old cowboy movies, John Wayne movies, right? The guy, you can almost immediately pick out who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, right? The good guys are wearing white cowboy hats and the bad guys are wearing black cowboy hats. And, and you immediately know who the sheriff is because he's got the star on his, on his leather vest there. There's, there's a mark, there's something that is immediately observable to you, and you know, oh, that guy's the sheriff. There's something that's marked him out. Well, just like a sheriff wears a badge that distinguishes what he is, and a king wears a crown that marks who he is, so we as Christians are to, to wear the mark of love toward one another. Again, to quote Francis Schaeffer, this is one of my favorite quotations. We must not say, I love you, and then, bang, bang, bang. And he actually has, like, that's how Schaefer said it, bang, bang, bang. I thought that was cool. I picture him with, you know, with guns in his hands. We must not say, I love you, and then bang, bang, bang. And this is where, as Christians, we often say, well, of course I love them, but, and then we pull out our guns and start shooting at each other. We must not do that. God's love crosses petty differences 
different application of standards. This was the case in the early church. Again, a passage from Tertullian says this, the heathen are wont to exclaim with wonder, see how these Christians love one another and how they're ready to die for one another? G. Campbell Morgan says this, not by the creed you recite, not by the clothing you wear, not by the hymns you sing, not by the rituals you preserve, excuse me, you observe, but by the fact that you love one another. This is how the world will know that you're Christ's followers. Let me give us a few points of application before I conclude. There are some, maybe in this room, there's no one I'm thinking of, obviously, in particular, but there are some who give other Christians the reason to question whether or not you truly are a Christian because you so regularly show anger, hatred, unlove toward other Christians. Some of you give your brother or sister or parents reason to think that you're not a Christian because you don't love. Don't think that someone is judging you inappropriately just because you give them that impression. Teens, what are your words like to others? Younger children that are in here, I know we've dismissed all the really young kids, but do you run to be the first in line? Do you spend all your time and money on yourself? I guess that would apply for us as adults as well. Do you spend all your time at home in your room, texting, Facebooking, etc.? If you don't love others and show it in a demonstrable sort of way, then I would encourage you to examine your own salvation. Not because of what I say, but because of what God has said. Parents, adults, teachers, do you We give our younger children or students reason to believe that we are saved. Not because of the preaching that we do at our children, but because of the love that we actually show to our children. Do our children want the Christianity that is ours because it's so full of love that attracts them to Jesus? Do our students want the Christianity that is ours because it's so full of love that it attracts them to Jesus? We're to love one another. We're to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we're to love one another as Christ has loved us so that the world will see that our confession of Christ is true. So you may say, Jeremy, uh, it sounds a little bit like you're overemphasizing the significance of love. I mean, how, how important is this? Because we know that doctrine is, uh, is critical. Doctrine is of absolute you know, necessity. If we don't have that, fun, that, that foundation Uh, We have nothing, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. But are you taking this, Jeremy, out of context? Are you overemphasizing something? Let me end with just a couple of passages here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then Christ himself in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, of course, one of the Pharisees comes and asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the foundation, brothers and sisters, of what I want for my home and what I want for our church and what Christ wants for his bride on the earth. And when we go through, when we go through difficult times personally, 
or collectively as a congregation like we are now, our love for one another is quickly put to the test. So let me remind you that Christ has loved us perfectly, setting us an example and providing us with the necessary power to love each other this way. I'll close in prayer, and then uh, Scott Booker will come and uh, share some uh, news regarding our church together here. So, Lord, I pray that we would. I pray that we would spend more time thinking on how you have loved us than we would spend even on how we're supposed to love other people. Because I believe with all my heart. Father, as we spend time meditating on your love for us, your sacrificial, self-deprecating love that you showed to us, I believe as we meditate on that, we will, we will respond with love toward one another. God, do this in our midst, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.